Heavenly Father, I ask for wisdom and guidance. Help me that I may know you more and live my life the way you want it to be lived. I want to be a part of something greater than myself. I want to help accomplish your mission for the church, to be the hands and feet of Christ here on earth. Lord, I pray that you will help me embrace your purpose for my life, my family, my job, my school, and my church. Let me be a part of a generation that seeks your face, that knows your name, that puts you at the center of our lives. Help me encourage my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we may build each other up in your word. I can see the great work you're doing in my life and the lives for those around me. Let us fulfill your great commission, doing kingdom work throughout our daily lives. I want to run the race well, living out your call on my life and make my life count. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being a part of this service. And all of you who are our guests, yay God that you've come. We were hoping you'd be here and we hope that this will be a time in which God will speak to your heart. And that he'll begin moving in your heart, maybe coming to know Christ as Savior today, or at least growing further in your Christian life. That is our prayer for you. Thank you for being with us today. Now, you notice this big number one back here. It stands for one life. We only get one shot. There's no redos. We, this is it. And as we walk through this life, we've got to be careful to make sure that we live our best life that we let God use us in the most powerful way possible. And this whole series has been about that very thing, to live our best life. The first message in the series was about what is the point to life? What, what are the goals that God has for us? Why did he put us on this earth in the first place? And we discovered that God has four key things, four key goals that he wants us to accomplish. And we talked about how God is going about moving in our life to accomplish those four goals. The second message was a very different message for me. To, I, I don't think I've ever preached a message exactly like that, but this idea that the deeper we get into our church involvement, the better of a person we become. And the truth is, that actually has been proven out. We talked about the family of God and God making us a part of that family and how we bless each other and help each other. But I made a point of that there is a, actually a Gallup poll that happens every five or so years that is a pretty extensive poll that at, uh, of at least thou, a few thousand people, of people that are deeply hardwired in their church involvement versus people who are not, and the comparison of the two. You ought to read those, those polls. It's absolutely amazing. And the last one that came out basically said this, that those people that are deeply involved in church actually are healthier, physically healthier than those are not, live longer lives than those are not, are happier than those who are not, that their marriages are stronger, that their marriages are, uh, that they, that the that rate of divorce is half 
the rate of divorce of those who are not, and their children are more adjusted, are more, more morally strong, all of that. It's not just everybody who claims to be a Christian, but those who are deeply involved in church. There truly is an amazing impact that happens in our lives. And so I just made a point of that, that in order to live our best life, the best way to do it is to be deeply involved in church because it actually does make a difference. Last week, I talked about seeing our resources through new eyes. And this morning, I want to talk to you about seeing your job, your school, as your mission. Obviously, our jobs are about earning money to take care of our families, and that's why we're in that career and that job, and I get it. Going to school is about learning more things so that we can get ready for adult life. I totally get that, and that definitely is what our work is about and our school is about. But I'm suggesting to you, in addition to that, that this job and this school and your neighborhood, God wants you to use this moment in your life as a mission. And I want to talk to you about that very thing today. There has never been the idea that God had of separating God from job and separating God from your schooling. God wants to be with you in every aspect of your life. He wants you to take him to school with you. He wants to, you to take him to work with you. And I want to talk about that today. Now, there are some jobs in which there are restrictions of people bringing, talking about religion or talking about Christianity at your job. And if that is true for your job, it's not in most jobs, but if that's true for your job, then you need to be respectful of those restrictions and find creative ways to be able to still share Christ with those and your job without violating those restrictions. In school, I want you to be aware there are almost no restrictions for students to share Christ with other students and even in the classroom. Now, there are restrictions for teachers and for administrators about sharing their faith with students, but there are almost no restrictions at all for children to share their faith. Write essays about who is your most, the most influential person in your life, and you want to say that's Jesus, you can write an essay about Jesus. There's no restrictions about that. I do know that in some states, not ours, and in some school districts, not ours, that some teachers and some administrators are very, very restrictive of students expressing their faith, but they are not aware that they are actually violating federal law when they do so. They don't know that. So what are these freedoms that children have in school? Well, I want you to be aware of them, and that's why I, have, I got permission to be able to duplicate this brochure and pass them around. And so we pass these out in our uh, connect groups today. But if you have not been in a connect group, you can get a copy of this at the information center. And what it does is it takes what the law actually says about children's rights of sharing their faith at school, of their ability to communicate their relationship with Christ, even in discussions in classrooms. 
They, they have great rights, and I want you to know what those are. This was actually, it's called A Parent's Guide to Religion in the Public Schools. And it is produced by Religious Freedom Center in Washington, D.C. It was written by a constitutional attorney, and it is official. It is totally official. Go and pick up one for yourself if you did not get one of these in your Connect group today so that you know what the, your children's rights are. And then, then if there are some restrictions that happen, be so respectful. Be totally respectful of the teacher, the administrator. They may not be aware. Sure, show this to them. They can go online and read it for themselves. So I want you to dare to let God use you in your job, in your neighborhood, in your classroom. Would you be willing to open your heart to take God wherever you go, even to your job? I want to challenge you with that today. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that the people that make the greatest impact in their life, the greatest difference in their life, all have a common denominator. People who make the greatest impact in their lives have clearly defined their objective in life. They know what their purpose is. People who make the greatest difference in the world are purpose-driven people. And the Apostle Paul was a purpose-driven man, and you and I are being called to be purpose-driven people too. And notice what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. So what is this work that Jesus has assigned us to? He tells us the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. God has called you and I to be a witness. So what is my mission in the workplace and at school and in my neighborhood? What is my mission? Obviously, you're there to make money for your family, to learn in school, yes. But there is another part of your mission, and that is to share Christ with others. Notice what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. God never intended for you and I to guilt people into heaven. He never intended for us to argue people into heaven, to pressure people into heaven, because the truth is we can't do it. No one has ever been guilted into heaven. We can guilt people. We, we can pressure people. Uh, we, we can make people feel badly and out-argue them, but after the argument's over and they say, okay, well, you had the better of the arguments, they still don't accept Christ. Because, you see, how a person gets to heaven is by God moving in their heart, the Holy Spirit convicting their heart, and we are a witness, and then they accept Jesus of their own volition. We can't ever guilt anybody into heaven. They've got to make the decision for themselves. All we can do is be a witness. To be a witness, as Jesus is saying, you should be my witnesses, simply means that we tell the story. We are a witness of what Jesus has done for us. Last month in July was the 50th anniversary of two men walking on the moon for the very first time. 
the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, 50 years since Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. They walked on the moon. They accomplished this goal because uh, John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, uh, years earlier made the challenge that by the end of the decade in the 1960s that we would send a man successfully to the moon and bring him back safely again. Well, it happened. And we just celebrated 50 years. And can you imagine, here is Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and they actually left footprints on the moon. The coolest moment in the last half of the 20th century, the greatest achievement of all time, the last half of the 20th century is just absolutely amazing. They got back into that lunar module, and it blasted off, and they reconnected, and they came all the way back home. And they spent the rest of their careers going in front of group after group after group, answering questions, telling what happened, being witnesses. They're just being witnesses of what they experienced. Can you imagine the questions? Okay, when, what was it like to leave your footprints in the dust on the moon? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. What was it like to be a part of a moment like this? And then when you got back into the lunar module and you took off that spacesuit, what were the smells? What did, what did the moon smell like? What were the sounds that you heard on the moon. What was it like, Neil Armstrong, when the little computer that was guiding the lunar module went out on the way down? Did you know that? The computer that was on the lunar module was about like one thousandth of the power of your cell phone. And it went into overload when they were going down. And they almost aborted it, but they decided, no, we can do it. And Neil Armstrong took control over every aspect of the lunar module, and he guided it down. And the original place where they were just supposed to go down, it was too rocky, and they didn't realize it until they got there, and they had to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, and they only had seconds left of fuel before they crashed. And he safely put it down just in time. What was that like? And what was it like when the rocket of the lunar module, boom, took off, and you knew you were not going to die on the moon? You were actually going to get off the moon. All that, they just told the stories of what they experienced. They were witnesses. But did you know that you've got a greater story than theirs? You have a story of a life-saving message in which you were lost and now you're found. You were dead and now you're alive. And the trajectory of your life was going straight to hell and suddenly now it is going straight to heaven. And God has begun changing your life and now you've begun to be renewed. you got a greater story. You got a greater story, and God is saying to you and me, would you be a witness of your story? Just tell your story of what I have done 
for you. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So who's going to tell them? You, me, you and me. Do you realize in America, at no other time in the history of this country are there so many people in this country who have never heard the gospel. We have become one of the greatest mission fields in America with all these churches everywhere. How is it? Because they're not coming into the church. And God has called the church to go out to them. But the church is so used to them coming to the church and not going out to them that we live right next door to people who are lost as a goose, never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to live and die and never hear the gospel. And we live right next door to them. We work next to them, go to school next to them. And God is saying, we got to open our mouths. we got to share the gospel. It, it's an imaginary story between God and an angel, but the story is basically this. God says to an angel, uh, the gospel is going to go all over the world. And how is it going to go? Because all of those that receive me are going to go and tell people at their job and people at their school and people in their neighborhood. And the angel said, but what if they don't do it? And God says, there's no plan B. There's no plan B for your next-door neighbor. There's no plan B. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that we, when we get to heaven one day, and when we get to heaven, I'm just, okay, this is, I don't read it in the Bible, but I believe it to be true. I really, I honestly do. That when we get to heaven, that God will show us, every single one of us, all the people, all the people that were a part of us coming to know Christ as Savior. We're in heaven because of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the grace of God. And I know that. But humanly speaking, God uses people. And I believe that when we get to heaven, He'll show us all the people that were a part of us coming to Christ. And we'll get an opportunity to go and say thank you. My parents, my dad and my mom, led me to Christ. So obviously they are a major part of me coming to Christ. But I'm going to tell you, there was a man that led my dad to Christ. And because he led my dad to Christ, he has a hand in me coming to know Christ. And I don't have the slightest idea who he is. There's a person who led my mother to Christ. I don't know who that person is. But in heaven I will. And there were Sunday school teachers that I had from the time they were putting diapers on me all the way up. And I don't remember any of their names. But one day when I get to heaven, there they're going to be. And they will have made, a, they will have been a part of me coming to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And they will have made a difference to me. And I'm going to get a chance to go to every single one of them and say, thank you. I'm here because of you. But here's what I, I want to ask you. When you get to heaven, who will be coming to you and saying, thank you? I'm here because of you. The greatest experience anybody could ever have 
is having someone walk up to you and say, I'm here because of you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, the good news is to heal the brokenhearted and announce the captives will be released, that the blind will see and the downtrodden will be freed from oppression, and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to Him. I want you to notice how Jesus describes the gospel. It affects the whole person. He's describing a gospel that affects the whole person, our spirit, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, even our physical life. He is describing a gospel that changes every part of us. And people are hungry to hear this gospel. People are hungry to hear it. Listen to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 37. What pity Jesus felt for the crowds because their problems were so great. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go for help. The harvest is so great and the workers are so few. Do you work with people and the problems they have are so great and the difficulties, they don't know where to go for help. You work with people just like that. You go to school with people just like that. There are people that are your next door neighbors and my next door neighbors who are just like that. Where do they go? How do they find any help at all? It is a myth that is being said today. I read it, and it's nothing but sheer myth. There is a myth that says that people are not interested in spiritual things anymore. I read this stuff, and it is sheer lie. It is a myth. And how do I know it? Because there are sociologists of religion who tell us that all the indicators are, all the, the, the polls are, that we live right now in the greatest time of spiritual hunger that this country has ever known. I think part of the spiritual hunger and why it's so high is because before when there was spiritual hunger, they knew they could find a remedy to that spiritual hunger in church, but people don't know that necessarily anymore. And there is a great sense of spiritual hunger in this country. But the, the sociologists also tell us, sociologists of religion tell us, that the younger generation are pushing away the institutionalized church, and they're including in that church, the institutionalized religions, rather, and they're including church. But Christianity was never intended to be institutionalized. Christianity is about a life change that we live in community with other believers, not institutionalized. And our churches have got to get back to that and the whole sense of this is, this is just us seeing God change our lives in community with each other. There is a hunger and the church can fill it because the only way that hunger is going to be filled is Jesus, is Jesus Christ. There are people who need him. And I'm going to tell you that story about people aren't interested. Did you know the latest? There is a yearly Gallup poll that comes out, and it's already come out this year, a yearly Gallup poll 
And the latest one is 10%, only 10% of Americans say there is no God or I don't know whether there's God, that, that, that are atheist or agnostic. And agnostic is simply a person who says, I don't know. I don't know. Only 10%. And what has been my experience, not everyone, not everyone, not everyone of the 10%, but many of the people that I've encountered that would be in that 10% are in that 10% partly because they say, because what's happened to them, they believe in God, but they're so mad at God because they went through hurt and heartache, or they know someone who did, and they're mad at God. God, you didn't change this. You didn't stop this from happening. I can't believe you let this happen, and I'm mad at you now. So I don't even want you to be there. And some in this group are people who they really believe in God, but the truth is I don't want God messing up my immoral life. I want to live this way. I want to live outside of God because I don't want there to be a God. I want to live in this immorality, and I don't want God messing it up. But let me tell you what it says. Nine out of every ten people you work with believe that God exists. Nine out of every ten, ten people. And not only that, but did you know that the, that the numbers are 80% believe in life after death? And 77% believe that this Bible is the Word of God of people that you work with. Of people that you go to school with. Of people that are in your neighborhoods. There is a spiritual hunger. And it is a lie that there's not. And there is an openness to the gospel. So here is the truth. How can I be a witness at work and at school and in my neighborhood, how can I do it? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, there are therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a person who represents a king or a president in another country. And God says, you are an ambassador of the king. Jesus Christ. You and I are an ambassador of the King. And He makes His appeal into the hearts of others through us. So how do we do this? How do we be an ambassador for Christ? Number one, I represent Jesus to others first by the quality of my work. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, do your work with your whole heart as if you were doing it for the Lord and not for others. Now, I already know there is not one lazy person in this room, and I already know it. This is going to shock you, but there are some people that work in jobs who are flat lazy. They do not work hard. They cut every corner they can. When the boss is not there, they are in goof-off city. And the truth is, they're just lazy. Now, I already know that is not you, but you will be stunned to know there are some people who claim Jesus Christ, and they are flat-out lazy. And I hope they don't tell anybody that they're a Christian. And the reason is because as soon as somebody finds out that person, that lazy guy or gal is a Christian, that is a discredit to Jesus Christ. 
You know what they need to do? They need to repent of their laziness, and they need to recognize exactly what this verse says. They work for Jesus, and they need to do all their work as unto the Lord and not for others. And they need to work hard because I'm going to tell you the very first thing before we ever open our mouths about Jesus Christ is that we have to have a life that witnesses. we got to have a life that demonstrates Christ. If you are at school and you are not getting your homework done, you aren't, you're lazing around not studying for tests, please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Start studying for tests first. Start showing that you are not lazy. Then tell people that you're a Christian. Because we began by sharing Christ with our lives. The second thing, I represent Jesus to others by my positive attitude. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Do all that has to be done without complaining or arguing that you will shine in the world like bright stars as you offer it the word of life. And I want you to notice what Paul does. He connects our attitude with our witness. He says, as you offer it, the word of life. I already know this. There are no grumpy people in this church. I know that. I know there's no gripey people. There's, I know that. I already know that. But you'd be stunned how many gripey, complainy, grumpy people there are out there. And you'd be stunned by it. And... That's not us. Does it mean everything is good and right at your job? No. Every job has problems. Every boss has imperfections. So there is plenty of stuff. But Philippians, Paul is connecting at our jobs, Paul is connecting our attitude with our witness. And you know what? Some of those people at your job, at your school, and you know who they are, just gripe all the time. They, they need some repentance. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying shine for Christ at your school and at your job. Because while you're shining, you're actually given a witness of Jesus before your mouth even opens up. There's a third thing. He says, I represent Jesus to others by telling them the good news of Jesus. Now he says, here I am. I am working hard. I have got a great attitude. And now I open my mouth and I tell other people about Jesus. The good news of Christ. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Be wise in all your contacts with them, meaning people who are lost. You could witness about Jesus no matter where you are. Let me give you an illustration. A pastor friend of mine told me that one day he was driving down the road he was not speeding, but all of a sudden, he saw the lights behind him, 
and heard the siren, and he pulled over, and he was surprised, but he thought something's wrong, so he gets out his, his uh, a driver's license. He has it ready. Police officer comes, puts, a, puts the window down. He hands the, it to the officer, says, officer, I, I, what, did I do something wrong? And the officer said, oh, no, you don't, don't give me your license. I already know you are. No, I haven't pulled you over for that. He said, I joined your church a year ago, and we've never had a chance to meet, and I just thought, I saw you. I saw you, and I thought, this is my great opportunity to finally meet this pastor. Now, I'm going to say to every police officer in this room right now, do not do this to me. (laughs) Don't do this to me. See, you pull me over. You you get the, the siren out and the lights going. You pull me over. And all the people that drive by, they're all looking at who this guy is. They're all, how do I know? Because I'm doing it. I'm, who is that guy that just got, they're all looking and they're going to see my face. And some of them are going to be members of this church. Oh, there you go, Pastor Mark. No telling how fast that guy was going. Do not do that to me. I will go out to lunch with you. You can come by my office. I'll come by your office. I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes. Don't pull me over just to say hi. So this guy pulls his pastor over, and they're just chatting, and uh, the pastor's so relieved. And the pastor uh, says to him, well, how did you find out about our church since I'm here and we're talking? How'd you find out about our church? He said, interestingly enough, I found out about your church when I pulled over one of your members for speeding. (laughs) I'm not kidding. This is the story. I pulled over one of your church members for speeding, and he said, uh, uh, I came up beside her like I've had here. She rolled down the, the window. She handed me her driver's license, and he said, I looked at the driver's license, and I thought, you know, she looks so young for her age. So I just said, I was just trying to break the ice a little bit. I just said, ma'am, you look so young for your age. How do you account for looking so young? And he said, you cannot believe what she said. She said to me, sir, the only thing I can say is that I have committed my heart to Jesus Christ, and he has changed every aspect of my life, I guess, except her driving, and (laughs) changed every aspect of my life, and I just, I credit everything of my life to him. And by the way, I attend such and such church, and I want to invite you to come to our church. And he said, I was so taken aback by her response, I didn't give her a ticket. I gave her a warning. And the next Sunday, my wife and my whole family went to your church, and we're now members of your church, and we just love your church. That's a great story. But now, I'm going to ask you, would you repeat these words after me? I'm very, very serious. Would you repeat these words after me? You ready? Here we go. I look this young because of Jesus. Please come to my church. Don't give me a ticket. Now, see, you know what to do the next time you get pulled over by a police officer. you got it all down now. It all works. 
another pastor said to me that one of the members of his church said to him, I'm a manicurist, and I, I don't, I'm not finding fulfillment in my, my job, in my career. I, I'm, I'm cleaning people's fingernails, but I, I don't feel like I'm really making a difference. And the pastor said, well, okay, wait a minute. You mean that you are one-on-one with people all day long, right? Yes. And you're holding their hand. They can't get away. <laughs> and you're clean. And yes. And you can talk about any subject because you're just standing, sitting there talking. Couldn't you tell every person about what Jesus has done in your life? She said, I really could do that. And he said, you know, if they're, if they're a Christian, they'll love hearing your story. They'll tell you their story. And you will have made a new friend. And if they're not Christians, many of them are really wondering, wow, seriously, this is what God has done in your life. Maybe he could do that for me. And he said, this woman has become a missionary manicurist in their church. I'm just telling you that God can use you. If you open your heart to it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. But how can I do that? I don't even know what to say to anybody. How, how can I even... Answer a question of the hope that is in me. And this is why I've said to you many times, I'm saying to you again, this is why you need the gospel conversation training. We've already trained 1,700 people in our church about the simple way in which you can share the gospel. It's so easy, you cannot believe it. It's just three circles. You learn how to draw these three circles and have little points on it, and it makes total sense. And when you go through it, you're saying, my soul, that is so easy, that is so simple, but it's right. It is right on. And if it's so simple to you, you know it's so simple to a person you are drawing the three circles to, and it's amazing. You can share the gospel in three simple circles. You need to be a part of the gospel conversation training. You need this. But there's one more thing, and I don't want you leaving yet, because I want you to hear this from me. I want to challenge you to begin a Bible study at your job, or in your school, or in your neighborhood. I want to challenge you to begin a Bible study at your job. Now, I already know what you're thinking. You are already pushing against that and saying, good grief, I could never do that. Please don't ask me to do that. I wouldn't even know where to begin with that, and I already know it. I'm no teacher. I could never teach a Bible study. I'm not asking for you to do that. I've had, over the years, several people that have said to me, did did you know that I do a Bible study at my job every week? I did not know it. And this happened to me again. At the end of June, uh, 
at the end of the third service, Kathy and I went to Spring Creek Barbecue. You got to feel better after you go to Spring Creek Barbecue. And we were we went to Spring Creek Barbecue right after third service. Had our two oldest grandkids with us, and we were standing in line. And a wonderful dear family of our church from this service were in line, and we were just talking. And he said to me, "Do you know that I do a Bible study at my job?" I didn't know that. Now I know you're thinking, I could never pull that off. I am not a teacher. I, there's so many things I don't know about the Bible. I could never do that. You don't have to worry about that. I went to our staff and I said, would you, in July, while I'm on vacation, would you work hard and come up with a simple way to do a Bible study at the job for everybody that is not a teacher. And they did it because they're the smartest people on the face of this earth. And they did it. And here it is. It is a Bible study in a box. Here it is. I'm not going to tell you what's in the box. It's a mystery box. But here's what I want to say to you. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. You're just a facilitator of this Bible study, and you can take a group of people through any book of the Bible, and every single time after the 30 minutes or whatever time is over, they're saying, wow, I learned so much. And all you do is you ask three or four or five questions, and we give you the questions that you ask. You just ask these questions. That's all you do. Read a passage of Scripture, and then you ask the questions, and they're answering from, and they are learning so much. unbelievable. You can do this. It is so easy a caveman could do this. Yes, I'm telling you. So how do you get this box? Right after the service is over, out in the commons, Right, you, there's a grand staircase there, and there is a room right next on the left-hand side called the Commons Place, and our ministers are there. They're ready. They've got boxes. If they've got any left, because, but if they, even if they don't, they'll get you a box. We want you to open your heart. Would you open your mind to being able to do a Bible study at your job or in your neighborhood? at your job or in your neighborhood. Now, I pulled the in your neighborhood on them, and they weren't ready for this. So here's what happened. After the first service, they were just swamped in that room. I don't know what happened at the end of the second service. I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened again, and I'm hoping the same thing happens here. And I'm asking you to open your mind to the fact you don't have to be a Bible teacher. You could start a Bible study at your job, and the simplest thing, and anybody could do it. So easy. A caveman could do this, and you can do it. But you could do the same thing in your neighborhood. So what they're saying is this, back in that room, they're saying if it's going to be a neighborhood Bible study, come in to the room, give them your name, and they will send you the materials. Would you open your heart to this? Would you push back all the excuses, at least maybe I could do this, we show you from the beginning to end how to approach your boss, how to invite other people, how to do it. It's the simplest thing. 
I'm asking you to open your mind to it. All the students, all the kids in our, if you are in high school, I hope that you'll be a part of C2 in your high school. Our Bible study, our Bible study at Sugar Creek that we do in your high school. And if you're not a part of it, I'm asking, would you open your heart to it? Ask Pastor Abe about this, and he'll give you the information. And if you are in any other grade, could you invite friends to come to church? And did you know that if you invite a friend to come to church, your parents will go by and pick them up and bring them to church? They will. They will be joyous as they do it because, yay God, my child invited a friend to church. Would you do that? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here today, and I ask that you would move in hearts to say yes to a simple thing that could have an eternal impact on so many. In Jesus' name, amen.